The parable of the prodigal son is one of the most loved stories told by our Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Last week began this little mini-series on Luke 15 entitled Depth of Mercy. And by the way, you're going to notice if you did last week, uh, as well as in some of the lyrics that, we, that we'll be singing in songs, we're trying to basically plummet the depths of love divine, to borrow from the song, And Can It Be? That goal, that desire to try to understand the incredible depth of God's mercy and his riches of grace that are in Christ Jesus and in Christ alone, in whom our hope is found. And having last week considered the lostness in Luke chapter 15 of the younger brother, today we're going to take the advice of Paul Harvey from long ago and read the rest of the story. So here it is, because there's another player involved here in this amazing chapter of Luke 15. There's a younger brother, but there is also an older brother or elder brother. Listen to God's word as it comes to us from Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. This is right after the celebration of finding his lost younger son. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitution, prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he, meaning the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your, this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost. And is found. May God add the blessing to the reading and the hearing of this, his holy word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask you once again the enabling help of the Holy Spirit. 
as we've opened and consider your word. We've heard it, but Lord, we need to hear it at other levels. And the only place that can, way that can happen is because you send the Holy Spirit to attend your word and make it a blessing to us and not a curse. Make it something that brings us closer, that enriches and deepens our faith. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, that you will be glorified, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. When most people read Luke chapter 15 and its stories contained therein, the almost exclusive character that everybody just naturally gravitates toward is the younger son. It's an amazing story, fascinating story of lostness and lostness reclaimed and being found. And yet the story involves not just one son, but two. There's an older brother as well as a younger brother. And yet the interesting thing is, in this story, contrary to all first-hand appearances, both of those brothers, those sons, are alienated from the father. And they both are disrupting the disunity, are disrupting the unity of the family. And Jesus, the reason why they're both there, Jesus is wanting us to do a little comparing and contrasting. He's wanting us to consider both of these brothers and their circumstances and their attitudes. Now that the younger brother is lost, that's plain and easy enough to see. That's sitting there right in plain sight. Nobody comes away from this not figuring out, hey, I wonder if that younger brother was, was uh, he, he's probably okay. No, he was lost, clearly. But, It's not so easy to see the condition of the older brother. And yet Jesus' point is that the older brother is lost also. Albeit in a very, very different way. Not at all the same. Not even any way like the same manner. But with the same result of lostness. We'll look at that, and then we'll try to see how it comes a little bit closer to home for us. Here's the two-point outline today. You say, Joe, where's the third one? I don't know. (laughs) It's not here. Two points. The lost who think they're saved. And the saved who sometimes act like they're lost. Uh, Hopefully that will become clear what I mean by those as we go on. All right, let's look at the first. The lost who think they're saved. Basically in verses 28 and 29, you see the reaction of the older brother. The older brother knew that his father was just tickled pink. He was jubilant. He was overjoyed that 
his younger son had finally at last come home. And he was back in the fold experiencing the father's pleasure and his goodness and mercy. Yet, when the older brother figured out what all this nonsense that was going on in his dad's house, in his home who he was going to inherit, he was the older brother, he had the greater portion, and yet here more money is being squandered, as if it weren't enough already, on this stupid fool of a brother that he had. And when he sees and finds out that his father is throwing this feast, he refuses to go in. Turns his back. Goes walking off somewhere. Do you know what that is? By the way, you remember last week I told you that the younger son showed great disrespect by demanding his share of the estate? like he did while his father was still alive, and that was tantamount to, I wish you were dead, a great sign of disrespect. Well, guess what? So is this. It's his refusal to go in and be a part of and take part in. That was his role. He should have been right by his father. Yet, in his self-righteousness, he refuses to go in, and he dis disrespects and disgraces his father. Yet the father goes out to plead with his older son. What a gracious response to such an insult. I mean, he goes out, son, let me explain. Let me tell you why. But the younger son's having no part of it. He is angry. He is ticked. Why is he so furious? Why is the older brother so mad? Well, for one thing, bringing back his no good, no account younger brother is going to be very costly to him. Do you understand that? Why? How? His brother is an heir again. He's back in the family. He's back in the good graces. And guess what that means? He has a claim to an already diminished by his foolishness third of the family estate. Now he gets to come back in and take another swing at it. And the older brother is just beside himself with furious anger. The person of the younger brother gives us a clear depiction of sin that anyone in their right mind would recognize. But the older brother, on the surface, he seems to be so different, so dutiful. But here's the great irony. Outwardly, the two sons look very, very different, as I said. One runs off and lives in an immoral life. One stays home and obeys dutifully and serves his father. But one chooses the way of moral conformity and the other, the younger son, 
chooses the path of self-discovery or self-actualization. He's going to find what's good for him on his terms, his own way. It's all about him. The older brother looks so much more godly because he's staying home. He's being responsible. He's doing his duty. And yet, Contrary to those appearances that seem so stark, in the end, the family's integrity and the father's heart is assaulted by both boys. Both of them. But this time, it's the elder brother. He doesn't understand his father's heart. He's clueless as to what the gospel is all about. You see, Jesus is saying to his listeners, there's another problem, child, in this story. There's another lost boy. Oh, but he looks so good on the outside. He conforms outwardly, just like the Pharisees. Remember who Jesus was really talking to. He was talking to, as we're going to see in the next couple of installments, we're going to see he was talking to a crowd of sinners that were there clinging and hanging on to him and with everything they had, trying to understand, trying to hope that they could find hope and mercy. And yet here was the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, arms folded at a distance, looking at thinking, look at this guy, the trash, he takes up with. Look at all this riffraff. Look at all this scum. This man can't be a prophet dealing, being that close to such sinners. Jesus knew they were there. And this parable is not just about wild, wandering boys. This is about how we can get lost in the most seemingly unlost like places. We can look so good, just like the Pharisees did. But Jesus said, outside, you look so good, but inside your whitewashed sepulchers and open graves. Because you don't understand the Father's heart. You don't ask for and humble yourself for His grace. You supply your own through your self-righteousness. And you see, what is it that's keeping the older brother out? Why did he go in? Listen again to verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You see, the elder son is not lost in spite of his good behavior. He's lost because of it. He's lost because of it. It's getting in the way of his need of God's grace. But he's hanging on to his track record, to his performance. Rather than throwing himself as sinners should before the mercy of a great and gracious God. You see, it was not his sin keeping him out, but it was his righteousness. His self righteousness that was keeping him out of the father's joy 
and love and mercy. Why is the older son lost also? You see, one broke the rules to get what he wanted. One broke the rules. That was the younger son. That's obvious. The other kept them to get what he wanted. There's the key. He kept them not out of love for his father. He kept them to get what he wanted. Do you realize that both ways are trying to become your own savior? Both boys were trying to become their own saviors, their own determiners, their own good future. But in very different ways. But they ended up the same place of lostness. I want to try to bring this home with a couple of quotes. One of them is from Flannery O'Connor from Wise Blood. And there's a character in that book, Hazel Motes, who happened to be the founder of the church without Christ. <laughs> Imagine that. So, so Motes, in his self-righteousness, decides to found the church without Christ. There have been a lot of people that have worshipped at that church down through the centuries, and they're still here today. They're still all around you today. And this is what O'Connor said about the motivation and the character of Hazel Motes. There was a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Now you think about that. The way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. You said, well, aren't we supposed to avoid sin? Aren't we supposed to be putting to death? Yes, but not like this is talking about. He means to, in order to keep from having to have dealings with Jesus, if he could keep his own record like the Pharisees, they did a good job of keeping their standards. But they weren't the standards of God. They couldn't measure up to them. But they were so confident of keeping their own standards, they thought they didn't need any grace. And so they didn't turn to Jesus. That's how performance can get in the way of finding Jesus. The one we need. O'Connor knew something about the nature of man. And something about the grace of God. Conviction in him. To avoid Jesus. Was to avoid sin. If I can look good. Keep it up and be satisfied. Then I don't have to run to Jesus. And beg him to forgive me. And ask him to forgive me. And humble myself. Henry Nguyen, in his story about the prodigal son, he brings it close to home for himself and for you and me. He says, looking deeply into myself and then around me at the lives of other people, 
I wonder which does more damage, lust or resentment? Now, both are evil. Both are wrong. But you've got to understand what he's saying. He's saying, which one is more dangerous? Which one is going to do the most damage to you spiritually? He says, there is much resentment among the just and the righteous. There is so much judgment and condemnation and prejudice among the saints. There is so much frozen anger among the people who are so concerned about avoiding sin. Just like just like uh, Hazel Motes. The lostness of the resentful saint is so hard to reach precisely because it is so closely wedded to the desire to be good and virtuous. Same story as Hazel Motes. I'm going to put on, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to hold up the standard that I determine, and I'm going to feel good about myself, and I won't need to turn to Jesus. Do you see how damning that can be? Do you see how dangerous that is? The other, you can recognize, you can see it. The technicolor sins. But that self-righteous smugness is very hard to detect, but oh, it leaves an odor wherever it goes. And your heart or mine. You see, the difference between a religious person and a true Christian, listen to me, the difference between a, quote, religious person and a true Christian is that the religious person obeys God to get control over God and things from God. But the Christian obeys just to get God himself. That's all you want. I just want you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I want you to be here. I want you to be your presence, my life. I don't need anything from you. You see the difference. Why do we pray? Do we pray to get something from God? Or we pray more just to be with God. Just to be in His presence. To tell Him how wonderful He is. To exalt Him. And to adore Him. And to glory in Him. Oh yes, we can ask Him for things. Of course we can. He said that in His own Lord's Prayer that He taught us. But do you see the focus? Do you see the difference? What one is trying to do as opposed to the other. Now, so we got a lost boy that looked real good being lost. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Let's talk about the saved who sometimes act like they're lost. Or they show elements of lostness. They're not really lost. They probably are real believers and, and have trusted Christ and have found the mercy of God and the grace of the gospel. But you know what? Just like you and me, folks like that sometimes forget to live out that gospel, to live in line with that gospel, to walk in a way that is consistent with that gospel. And they end up doing some things that sometimes kind of look like lostness, or we could we call it elder brotherishness. 
Some people are complete elder brothers. I mean, they are. They're lost. They're lost like the Pharisees in their self-righteousness. But many Christians, true believers, who know and believe the gospel are nonetheless sometimes elder brotherish. Let's look at a few ways that can manifest itself. Here's some signs of elder brotherishness in this passage. And then we'll say, where are the signs in us? Maybe in us. Here's what you see in this passage. In verse 28, there's deep anger. Deep anger. Verse 28 says he became angry. He became white hot angry is really what is being said. And he had this attitude of, you owe me. I can't believe that this son is here and taking away again. You owe me, Father. I have been dutiful. I have done. He's just completely angry. Secondly, he has a joyless mechanical obedience. Oh, yes, he's obeying, but it's joyless and it's mechanical. How do we know that? Verse 29, I've been slaving for you. Dad, don't you see how hard I've been working? I've been slaving for you. It's not, Dad, it's, it's a joy to work for you, to be your son to follow you and, 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 and join in what you're doing? No. Three, a coldness to older or to younger brother types. How does he feel about his younger brother and to any other folks that are like him? This son of yours. Basically, I ain't having anything to do with it. Not my brother. Self-righteous smugness. Pride in ourselves, in our moral, and even sometimes doctrinal superiority over others. Fourth, unforgiving and judgmental spirit. I would never do that, is the implication. This son of yours, basically, and I would not. I never do the things that he's done. And then finally, a lack of assurance of the Father's love in verse 29. You never gave me a party. You don't love me. Do you see how sick this is? How elder brotherish? But have you ever had it inside of you? Have you ever acted that way? Spoken that way to prodigals? To others, members of your own family. You see, another sign that we're being elder brotherish is that every time something goes wrong, and it does in our lives, you begin to wonder if God is going to punish you. Is this happening to me now because God's mad at me? Is He going to punish me? Oh no, my sins are catch up. We're not living out of the gospel when we think like that. Unresolved guilt. Not understanding what Christ has done. Folks, I'm telling you, if, if you don't, if you were reading, and I hope you did, the, the um, uh, reflection that I put up on the screen that goes on right up before the service and also at the, uh, um, during the offertory as Teresa plays beautiful music, 
and others. Um, that is a second century document. But if you don't understand it, didn't see that that is talking about blazingly clear justification by grace through faith. Penal substitutionary atonement in Christ being found and finding the righteousness that is not of our own making but of his. That was in the second century. That wasn't in the time of the Reformation. But you see how it removes, it releases, it frees us from guilt. The anger of God has already been burned up on Calvary for those in Christ. Now, we can come, as we sang last week, mercy speaks by Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood speaks loud and sweet. Here all deity can meet, and without a jarring voice, welcomes Zion to rejoice. All her debts were cast on me, and she must, she must, and shall go free. That's what this proclaims. That's what this table preaches to you and me today. Forgiveness, grace unmerited, and love beyond degree. What depth of mercy can it be? You see, Jesus ends the parable with the lostness of the older brother in order to get across the point that it's the more dangerous place to be. Do you realize that? Both are dangerous. Both are not where we should be. But the other is seen and observed. The technicolor is easy to spot. The drug addict, the prostitute, the person that is embezzling is that's easy to see but the self-righteous elder brother is hard to see and understand they can look so good but it's precisely so dangerous because you don't see it don't recognize it the younger brother knew he was alienated from the father but the elder brother did not if you tell a religious person, a person that really looks good and is really tries to do everything he can to make sure he's complying and fulfilling righteousness as he understands it, if you tell a person like that that's trying to obey God in order to get God to bless him or her, they will be offended. I guarantee it. They will be offended at this kind of a message. They will be offended if you tell them all of your righteousness is as filthy rags and it will not bring, you need to trust and cling to the righteousness of Christ. You see, the sick know they need a doctor. Remember Jesus saying that? When he said about the, the, uh, those that they don't need a doctor, he wasn't saying they didn't need a doctor. Sure they did. The Pharisees desperately needed it, but they would have none of Jesus. They would have none of the great physician, but it was the poor, really wretches that did get it, and they understood, and they knew they were hopelessly lost, and they would not have a hope and a prayer except for Jesus. That's how the lost get found.
Chesterton, GKA, GK Chesterton. You've heard this quote before, but I love it. Uh, when it comes to not sometimes being seeing ourselves as part of the problem. Uh, a uh, Times, uh, London Times article was put out in Chesterton's time back before the uh, uh, turn of the turn of the of the previous century, the ni- early 1900s, and it, it, the, the title said, "What is wrong with the world?" And it was asking for essays for people to write, to give their two cents worth of what they thought was wrong with the world. And could you imagine in our day, it's, man, Twitter would would fire up, and everybody would be saying, "It's because of those." folks over there on the left, or it's because of those folks over there. That's what we would do. Chesterton penned this response. Dear sirs, to the question, what's wrong with the world? He said, dear sirs, I am. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. See, that is the attitude of someone who understands elder brotherishness that gets it. And that's the message of Jesus. Do we get it? Let's pray. Father, help us to understand there are two dangerous directions and we can turn, but both lead us away from you, Jesus. Instead, O oh Lord, keep us ever clinging to the cross, ever coming back, ever running to you, Lord Jesus, and prostrating ourselves before you in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, to have mercy upon us. Be gracious unto us, because you have accomplished and fulfilled all righteousness for those who believe. Father, we pray that we will understand and live by and in line with that mercy and that that is so deep and so wide. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.